I want to look today at 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which is a familiar passage, of course, the passage on love, and uh, be looking at verses 1 through 7. Um, oftentimes, uh, we might hear this at a wedding uh, and, and think about it that way. It's certainly appropriate for that, but it's much broader than, of course, uh, than just the subject of marriage. Uh, starting in verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So just briefly, I want to look at kind of uh, three lessons from this. And there's, there's more than three, of course, that we could uh, get out of there. But I want to look at just the, the distinction that is implied here between true and false conversion. And secondly, the definition of love according to the Bible, because there's lots of definitions of what love is out there in the world, and we want to look at what Scripture says, not what the world says, and then just look at the necessity of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, you know, in this passage, in, in dealing with love, is what we see, if we were to get our prayer answered for revival, we would see, and indeed, an abounding of love in our own hearts, in our churches, and in our families and so forth. Uh, and so this kind of gives us a picture in one sense of what we're asking for. But uh, as we look at those first verses, um, it shows that a person may have great gifts that come even from the Holy Spirit and yet not have love. And of course, it's impossible that a Christian would not have love since it's the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. And um, one of my favorite authors is Jonathan Edwards, and one of my favorite works of his is Charity and Its Fruits. Uh, if you have uh, read that, then uh, you, you have been blessed. And if, if you haven't read it, I would certainly recommend it. Um, if you can deal with the older language, they, they also have updated you know, versions of that, uh, Charity and Its Fruits, uh, Charity being the older King James word for love. And uh, so what we see here is that a person can speak in tongues and not have love. And if so, they are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. A person can prophesy and know all mysteries and have all knowledge. Of course, when it says all, the word all there is, um, you know, it doesn't mean like all knowledge, like God has all knowledge. It would it signify a great amount of knowledge and even spiritual knowledge, uh, knowing spiritual things. Um, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, 
And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. One of the things that's amazing about this is just the level of uh, work, I guess you could say, or the level of spiritual activity, uh, religious activity that can be done and there be no love there. Uh, that all of these things can be done where love is absent from it. And what Edwards said here, and I think he's right, is, is that all of those things can be done by an unbeliever. An unbeliever, uh, if the spirit comes upon him, can speak in tongues, not, not even getting into the, the questions of, you know, arguments concerning cessation versus continuation of the gifts. Just go back to the first century. Somebody could speak in tongues and not have love and not know the Lord. Someone could prophesy. Someone could know all mysteries, could have all knowledge, could have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not have love. Someone could give all their possessions away to feed the poor and not have love. Someone could be a martyr and surrender their body to be burned and perhaps even be crucified and not have love. And if that was the case, it would profit nothing. None of those things, whether speaking in tongues or prophesying or having the kind of faith that is mentioned there or giving away all your possessions and your money or being a martyr, it would be of absolutely no benefit whatsoever if there was not love. And there, there could be that situation where there isn't love. Uh, it's, I don't think Paul is just speaking hypothetically here. And, and that raises questions, you know, of course, like, are really, are you saying that a person could speak in tongues and prophesy and, and particularly have faith so as to remove mountains, but not be a born again, converted person? Well, think of Judas. Uh, Judas was sent out with the 12, two by two, and went out to the cities, and he, they preached, and he very likely preached with them. He prophesied. Um, he had uh, the ability to cast out demons and perform miracles. There's no distinction anywhere in any text that suggests that Judas was not doing those very same things as well. And how was he able to do them? He was able to do them because the Lord empowered him to, even though the Lord knew from the beginning he was a devil. And so that kind of throws our entire, uh, our, our categories into disarray in one sense. It's just, uh, we would assume that a person that have that kind of gifting would love the Lord and would know the Lord and that that's indeed why they have those gifts. But according to the text here, you can have all those things and not have love and it profits to nothing. And I think of Saul as well in the Old Testament. Uh, most do not think of Saul as a converted man. They look at Saul as someone who was anointed by God and given the spirit in one sense. The spirit came upon him to empower him for the role he had as king. And yet he spent a good deal of his time uh, tormented by an evil spirit when the Lord departed from him and trying to kill David and wiping out the Gibeonites and um, doing the thing in 1 Samuel 15 where he disobeyed the Lord and uh, kept some of the things back that he was supposed to destroy. And, and over and over again, he calls up a medium to talk to Samuel after uh, Samuel is dead so he can inquire on um, what he's supposed to do. And uh, yet he, the spirit did come upon him. The text says so. He was empowered to be the king. He was empowered to fight battles. 
and um, accomplish great things uh, for a time for the Lord, just as Judas was. And so one of the things that it, it tells us is we shouldn't be looking at the gifts, um, like spiritual gifts, as an indicator of whether a person is converted or not. We should not look at those things to determine whether we ourselves know the Lord. Well, I, I know I have to know the Lord because there's no way I could do these things if I didn't. Well, actually, it is possible to do those things, even by the Holy Spirit of God, but not by virtue of him dwelling in you and changing you and regenerating. And so um, that sometimes we are, I, I think, uh, laying hands on people in a sense too hastily. We are assuming someone is converted when it isn't necessarily so. When we're looking in the wrong direction, we're looking at the things they do and maybe the things they say. We're maybe looking at how much they know, but we're not looking at love and whether they have love. And um, having all faith so as to remove mountains, uh, remember that the demons believe and shudder, James says. And also uh, the, the situation in John 8, where Jesus is speaking to disciples who believed in him. And we read that and we think, okay, they're born again believers. No, not so, because then he goes on to say, if you continue in my word, then uh, you are truly my disciples. And you, the son of man sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Then they got all offended by that. What do you mean we're not free? Um, and they, they were offended by that statement. And as you follow the dialogue down in John 8, he calls them children of the devil who want to kill him. Um, so they're not believers in the sense of born again believers with the grace of faith, of saving faith. They have intellectual faith, um, but not saving faith. And so that's, that's the first thing I think that jumps out in the text. And the second thing, uh, well, one more comment on that, that would be Matthew 7, where Jesus says, uh, you know, that there are many, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So even while they were doing these things, I think I don't think they're lying. Like they're trying to pull one over on God and, and get him to believe a total lie that they had prophesied in his name when they hadn't, or that they had cast out demons when they hadn't, or that they had performed miracles when they hadn't. I think they had. And they had done it because the Holy Spirit empowered them to do it. But they practiced lawlessness all throughout that. And they did not have love, as we see according to 1 Corinthians 13. So that raises the question, what is love? Love is, of course, not um, two teenagers staring into each other's eyes on a dance floor at prom. Um, that's probably lust, but it's not love. A love is not um, just, I, I love you because you love me, Jesus said, if that's all the love that you have, what good is that? Even the tax collectors do the same, though he uses the word love. And so there's many false definitions out there of love. Some people would so define love as that God couldn't possibly be love if he sends anybody to hell, and he most certainly does. 
and is still love. Um, love starts with God and it starts before the foundation of the world. God was love before the foundation of the world. That's why the, why the Trinity is necessary, but why it's possible for God to be described this way as love um, even before there's any human beings to love. Because if God was just a single person and a single being rather than a one being three persons, there would in a sense be no one to love. Or we could say, well, God just loved himself. But to say God loved himself apart from the Trinity is, you know, kind of has bad connotations. And what we see in scripture as the father loving the son, the son loving the father, and so on before the foundation of the world. So that's, that's where it starts. And then we get into what is the definition of love here in this text, starting in verse four. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Right there, if you think about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, and you have these nine fruits that are mentioned as uh, the, the, that which comes to us and is worked in us and born in us and, and through us by virtue of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us by regeneration. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering. Here Paul says love is patient. Um, love is kind, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So they, they go together. You can't have one without the other. Um, there is no one who is loving who is not also patient. There is no one who is loving who is not also kind. If we say they're loving, but they're not very kind, they're, they're not, actually, not actually loving. Um, the, the fruit of the spirit are not nine things to work on. And well, I'm really working on patience right now. I think I've got love down, but I'm really trying to work on my, my patience. Now, if, if you're not patient, you're failing in both categories. Um, you have them all or you have none of them. Now you can have all of them all in degree. It's not that we're perfect in, in the expression of those nine fruits of the spirit, but it's just to say that they're so interconnected that it's impossible to be excelling at one while failing at another. They they rise together or they fall together. Um, so love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. And so love is, of course, humble as well. If I love people, then I'm not jealous of what they have, of who they are, of what they might have that I don't have. Um, I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to bring attention to myself and boast about my my gifts, my skills, my talents, whatever. Um, it's not arrogant. Um, love does not act unbecomingly. I'm thinking about how I relate to other people and what would cause offense uh, to others and what is the, working out that principle of love your neighbor as yourself. Um, anytime I'm acting in an unbecoming way, I'm not thinking about other people. Love does not seek its own. It's not selfish and self-centered. It doesn't think the world revolves around me. Um, it's looking out, upward and outward. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not provoked. Anytime I'm easily offended by things that people do or say, it's because of a failure of love on my part. Uh, love insulates me in many ways from um, being provoked and being uh, lured into quarrels and fights. Uh, love is not interested in that. 
Uh, love does not take into account a wrong suffered or keep a record of wrongs, uh, which means love is very forgiving and doesn't keep a scorecard with people and uh, keep uh, fresh all the, the ways that they have wronged me and, and done me wrong. Uh, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And so we think today about Pride Month and here are people that uh, claim to be very loving and claim to be in these illicit relationships because love, uh, because of love. Um, but love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, so it's very persevering. It's not a, a, an emotion that just kind of erupts one moment and then it dissipates. Um, love is something that's very enduring and durable. Bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there's the, the definition of love. And then I would just close with this, that without the Holy Spirit, there is no love. No, no spirit, no love. You cannot have love without the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is the kind of love that the word is used. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't profit anything. The kind of love where Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Or the kind of love, um, you know, where we do a lot of gifts but don't have love, um, do a lot of works but don't have love. But when the Holy Spirit comes and makes uh, residence inside of our heart and regenerates us and resurrects us from spiritual death, prior to that point, we don't love anybody. We don't love God. We don't love our neighbors or ourselves. We certainly don't love our enemies. And even our family is just really. If when you call it love, it's just love because of selfishness. Well, I, I love them because they're mine, um, what we call natural affection. But you can't separate love out from the Holy Spirit. Like love is something over here, something, and the Spirit is over here. They go together. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so we need the Holy Spirit. I, I know everyone believes that. Um, but I hope this uh, underscores just how much we need him. Um, when we are praying for revival, we are asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in fact, the very pouring out of the love of God really on us and, and our congregations, that it would transform us. Uh, imagine if our churches looked like 1 Corinthians 13. First uh, John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love doesn't come from anywhere else. It doesn't come from below. It doesn't come from my heart. I was not born with love in my heart. I, it's not some attribute I, I, I can really develop and cause it to grow if I just work hard at it. Love is from God. I have to have God to have love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So it means the only people who love are those born of God and who know God, meaning Christians, true Christians. That's the only people on the planet who love. Nobody else does. And before we were Christians, we didn't love anybody either. It's just a world of hate. Uh, that's why Paul says in Titus 3, you, you once were foolish yourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending your life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's how he described us before we were converted. 
And then here in First John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. As we, uh, as we go pray, um, uh, may, may the love of God uh, fill us uh, through his spirit.